Welcome, welcome to the podcast, Awakening to the Voice of Gaia. I'm Catherine Alexander, and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm going to take you on an amazing journey where you will learn how to come home and how to become a partner to life. Healing the centuries-old wound of separation is not an easy thing, but it can be achieved in seconds. First comes understanding and then the breaking of old habit patterns. Understanding is an inside job. Breaking patterns takes community. I'll be sharing my story and the resources that got me here. And you are welcome to come back and visit at any time. If you want to go deeper then joining the third way community as you learn to live regeneratively would be a good thing. The shift is as easy as shifting from living on the planet to living with the planet easy to say and much harder to do. Life loves life, so there is nothing to fear, just old patterns to change. <laughs> so join me as we explore the wonderful, amazing biology of life and how that changes everything. So here we go. Welcome to Buckle Up, Buttercup. If you're like most of us, you just feel you've got to do something with all of the horrendous changes and the collapses that we're seeing everywhere around us. It is so hard to watch everything fall apart. And the angst of why can't they just stop? Why don't they just do something? <clears throat> Can lead to, well, I don't give a darn. If they're not going to do it, I just am going to ignore it. I just can't stand it. Or, well, I can't do anything about it anyway. So I'm just going to lead my own life and act like nothing's happening. And it's really understandable why people feel that way. Um, and maybe you're one of them. Maybe you feel that way as well. The whole point of the series is to say there are things that we can do, but it's not what we think. It's not the kind of thinking that makes us feel this way. I kind of call this the impaled lover syndrome because we love earth. Um, we love nature. It makes us feel good. And it hurts. It literally hurts to watch things die or fall apart. But there are options. If you want to really stick in the stop it kind of thing, if you don't want to contribute anymore to what's going on, there are things you can do. Um, you can start to be the change, but we'll talk more about that as we go on. But that really means you have to take seriously, and I think this is the biggest key, you have to take seriously that it's changing. And I think if you really want to stop it, and your strategy is to 
not contribute to the things you know are already creating a problem, and that's a fine strategy to have, then it really requires a really determined shift in your lifestyle. No new cars, phones, or computers. Really not buying that stuff. Those are the most ubiquitous points of reference that we as normal citizens encounter that are creating the problems that we're having. So just by used, by everything used, that's clothes, that's houses, that's everything used. Don't buy anything new. It's the new stuff that's continuing the degradation. We've already got enough stuff. We don't need anything new. And use less of things. So insulate your home. Spend money on insulation. Install a heat pump. Put solar on your roof. Become as environmentally clean as you can afford. And learn to garden because everybody needs food. And I'm going to go into this further. This is actually, I think, a magical piece of the solution to all of the angst that we're experiencing and to the changes that are coming up. But the hard part is the heart. The hard part is the heart, the feelings, the emotions that we have watching or thinking about beautiful things dying. I mean, up till now, the disappearing biospecies, the catastrophes that change how people live haven't affected most of us here in North America. We've been fairly insulated from a lot of that. Some of us have seen floods and tornadoes. That's absolutely true. Um, we have whole cities that haven't recovered from the last bout. And that's absolutely true. But for most of us, the personal experience is not really there. We haven't seen polar bears die where now they're going to, but they aren't like gone. So the heart is really the place that's experiencing the pain of the future. It's not so much right now pain. It's feeling the pain of what is coming, what is in process. We are, in a way, passing through the eye of the needle. We are being impaled um, by those thoughts and feelings. But it is our personal insight that is both the tormentor and the healer. It is our personal discipline that can be part of our savior. It's learning to manage our body, mind, and spirit. And that doesn't mean cutting off our emotions, pretending that they don't happen, ignoring them as though they really don't exist. It really has to do with having a new, fresher look at emotions and being actually more in tune with our emotions than we've ever been before. 
I truly believe that our path is found through our joy. And that's why the emotions are so key, because they tell you, they always have, tell you when you write. You know it. You don't have to have anybody tell you when you write. You know it. You feel it. And so it's really bringing that feeling to the fore, really living in that place, from that place, instead of pretending that we don't have that place or ignoring it or dismissing it which is what we've really been doing for so long, which is what's allowed us to get into that space. We've watched in horror as people have done things and things have been done. And instead of really following those feelings and acting on them, we've stuffed them. And so now's the time to really bring those out. And that takes practice, lots and lots of practice. It's not something that's going to come easy or happen overnight. I think we can play stop it all <laughs> or we can dance with reality. The stop it all shift has long gone, actually decades. We've been on this path for so long. And if you pay any attention at all, you know that we've actually increased our carbon emissions. So if carbon is the issue, we are toast, toast, toast. The fact that we've lost water and in the form of ice is, as far as I'm concerned, the, the lock on the door because that ice will never be replaced, never. I mean, it took millions of years to put that ice there. We have lost millions of years of ice. It's not coming back. And that ice is what kept us in the range that has worked for us for 65 million years. So the stop it all bus has long gone. We need to dance with reality if indeed we want to stay here. And that means we need to be present and we need to be positive and we need to be open and we need to be learning and we need to be willing to experiment. These are hard things for some people. And it certainly is hard when you're really caught immersed in the angst and anger and sadness and fear of all of this stuff. So if you're going to dance with reality, you've got to be present. And that's not easy work, but it's really important work to really acknowledge where we are, to let go of any hope or desire or thought about we're it's just this, or we're just going to, or we'll go to go, we'll do this until those, we are never going to have the style of living that we've got now. So the sooner we go, yep, it's gone. And then begin to think about and work toward what is possible. Then the joy comes back into life. But this is hard work, folks. Um, really letting that go. And if this is something you really want to grapple with, I really encourage you to start listening to Michael Dowd. You can Google him, thepostdoom.com. He is really talking about all of this. I don't think he has the path forward. I think that's what the Coming Home Project offers. But all of that emotional work um, and this is another reason for community. So I encourage you to join us. 
you can't go forward until you really are letting go of the past um, and really present. You can't see the future, I don't believe, until you truly have truly let go of the past. It is so important that we become sensitive to what's required now, that we need to be present in order to do that. We do the changing. The earth is taking care of herself. The earth loves life. The earth wants life. The earth is doing what she can to maintain life. And now life doesn't have to be in this particular narrow range that she's kept us for all these millions of years. We had life before that. So I do believe there'll be life after it. The question is our life. And I think there's a greater question because we are all connected. We're part of her and she's part of us. So when we get that, when we act from that place, instead of the fear and the angst and caught up in all these other things, we can begin to be the partner we're supposed to be. We can begin to play the role that will allow for the next stage, whatever that looks like. But for us to play that role, to be that partner, we have to be present. And that's not having one foot in the past and one foot in the present or one foot in the present and one foot in the future. You have no idea. We have no idea what the future is going to look like. It is so up for grabs. Being present allows that future to materialize without distortion and with our participation, if we're willing to participate. So we do the changing, but enjoy it. Really work to get to that place of enthusiasm. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. And curiosity for what the future to be excited and stimulated by the changes instead of resistant and regressive. Attitude is everything. There's no alternative. There's no way to make it easy. There's, we just have to go with it. We have to be with it, more importantly. Everything has cycles. This does too, but it might be a really long cycle. So it really requires accepting where we are without the hope that it's going to be different or that certain things will continue or whatever. It truly means non-attachment at its highest form. And non-attachment does not mean not caring at all, at all. It's intensely caring, intensely caring but allowing everything to be free to make its own changes as well. Not holding on to anything, not preventing anything from doing whatever movement is necessary for its response to what's currently happening. Hope is a seduction and it's a... It's really a connection to the past that I don't think we can afford to have. Um, yeah, I'm reminded of Lot's wife, the pillar of salt, who looked back, and it was the looking back <laughs> that drove her to tears, basically. 
don't look back, look forward. And look forward with curiosity, be present. Be here now could never be more important than it is now. When you live for the moment and for the joy, because every moment is joyful. I mean, that's, that's sort of the amazing thing about this. When you live in the present, joy is there. It's just there because it's such an amazing thing to be alive. There are so many miracles around us. It is so exciting. There are so many new things to see, learn, and discuss. Life is so engaging when we're present and engaged with it. But mostly we withdraw that engagement and get caught into those negative emotions or ennui because we feel it should be different instead of accepting it for where it is. So I can't stress this enough. It is really about being present. That attitude of joyful engagement with what is now. Your body knows. Trust your body. And that's what I mean by a better way. There is a better way. The ice may be disappearing. That may be true, but we are not a passive species and lots of things are being done to deal with this in hundreds of different ways. How much is going to grab hold? How much is going to be supported? How much 2 billion people can do instead of the 8 billion that we have? And the loss, the grief that we're going to have to go through to get there? I don't have answers for you, but what I'm suggesting is that for you as an individual, for you as a family, for you as a community, being in this place of present, curious, and engaged is the happiest place to be, no matter what happens. Learning how to see the joy in the immediate time, space, and place is really a balm. Reality is totally different than living in an illusion. Stopping the shift is an illusion. Surviving is fine. I mean, it's certainly more positive, but it's fear-based. And it's not it's not really engaged. It's still in reaction to reality. Survival is obviously important. And we may have to do all sorts of things to survive that we hadn't considered. But again, attitude is everything. And seeing this as a process, as a way of engaging with the planet, of refining our engagement with the planet. I think this is what's being called for, is not doing your own thing, which is what survival seems to indicate, and being more concerned with your own thing than anything else. That whole separatist approach to survival is not going to work. And I don't think that even communities that are focused on survival, it's still their community. There's not this larger 
engagement, this larger um, commitment, this larger understanding that certainly should be one of the outcomes from all of this is that we are not alone. It's not about us. It's about everything. And working from that perspective, going from survival to thriving, understanding that it's not just us, it's everything that has to thrive, is something that really requires the skill, creativity, and innovation that we as a species are known for. So the question really for me is, what does it take to thrive in chaotic conditions? And I think we're going to be learning this for a long time. It's not like there's a single answer. And I think that answer varies for every individual and every community. But the focus on thriving opens us up to the delight that, that surviving blinds us to. We can really be the change. We can think and act like nature. We are nature. We have denied ourselves and dismissed those connections that have been talking to us for centuries. Our body knows. Our sense of joy knows. We put up with things. We make do with stuff. We ignore things. We put it off and procrastinate. We do all these things against all of the information our bodies and our emotions are giving us to do it differently. So we've resisted these lessons for so long. And now is the time to really dive into them, to get our hands in the dirt. Absolutely. You know, it's so amazing how much we're learning because we didn't, we didn't, know this with our minds before. Our hearts knew it, and certainly the indigenous ways of living incorporated all of this knowledge in how they lived. But when we stepped away from that way of living, we discounted and dismissed all of that. It doesn't mean we didn't have it and we didn't get it, but we stopped paying attention. So if we come back to our body, trust our joy, get our hands in the dirt because our biome, all of the 30,000 critters inside of us that make our life possible are connected to all of those critters in the dirt. <laughs> There's lots of similarities. My, mitochondria are found in almost every living thing because it's what allows living things to take the power from the sun and transform it into into self-power so we have those connections and when, I, when we put our hands in the dirt then those little little critters those bacteria and fungi reconnect and revitalize and refresh we need that and there's lots of scientific studies that really prove that our hands in the dirt can help with depression can help with all sorts of things It really makes such a difference. So gardening is truly a path forward. It really is. I don't care if you're not interested, haven't been interested in it. I'm really encouraging you to try it. Plant flowers. It doesn't matter what you do. 
but notice, pay attention. Oh, we're so called to pay attention now. You can't do it mindlessly. You can't do it without um, engagement. You can't just do it from a duty perspective. The attention, the awe, the joy, the curiosity, create reverence and appreciation for the magic that life is. And what a wonderful thing to be able to support that, to be able to learn how the nuances, the subtle ways in which life is supported and that we can do things to support life. So I recommend compost because compost is what really enriches your soil. And it's part of that full circle. The planet as a whole is what is called a closed system because there's nothing new on the planet. The only thing that comes into the planet is the energy of the sun. Everything else is here. And one of our skills has been to take things away. So we burn them or we create things that can't disappear, which pile up. Those are two of the problems that we have now. Resources are disappearing and we're polluting, which is what happens when things pile up and they can't be put back into the earth. So compost is a way to begin to truly experience that full cycle where what you have taken from the earth, everything that's biodegradable, that we eat, um, many things that we use, and you have to learn how to do this, um, can go back into the soil, can nourish that soil. If it's composted, that process makes it accessible. So do that. Consider it a spiritual exercise, truly. It is a way of giving back. It is a way of seeing how what you do can create thriving life. Watch those earthworms. When you use compost in the ground around you, whether it's grass or a garden, doesn't matter. You should see those worms getting fat and juicy because they're being fed. And if they're being fed, so are all the microbes in that soil. And living soil holds water. So not only are you nurturing things, you're actually creating a safer space for yourself. Because if your land is full of living soil and is holding as much water as is available, your land, your place of being, is much more resistant to drought or fire. And you will keep alive the plants around you longer so that they also can protect you. This is a win-win. It truly is. And it's something we can all do. And it takes time. So now's the time to start. Another little favorite thing you're going to hear me talking about is a mini forest revolution. If you're a real activist and you really want to physically go do stuff and you don't want to feel like it's useless, that it really is going to have an impact, then I would really recommend many forests. 
The book is Mini Forest Revolution, and it's written by Hannah Lewis, and it talks about a process that was developed by a Japanese gentleman, um, and I'm not going to say his name because I have to say it. I have to see it in order to say it right. But it is a way of revitalizing your area, a small area. You don't need anything larger than six car parking spaces. So your backyard is probably big enough to do this. So if you're really passionate and you really want to see results, this is the path for you. Many forests allow you to plant the entire forest in a day, basically. But you have to do some research because you have to know what to plant. And you do have to do some soil prep to make sure that the soil is accepting. So there's a little pre-work here. But when you plant the forest, within three years, it becomes self-perpetuating. And it brings back birds and bugs and animals that used to be there because now they have a home. So in three years, you can see results. And these mini forests have proved to be incredibly resilient to difficulties because they're a whole, they're an ecosystem. They're not individual trees. Planting individual trees is not going to get us there. Tree plantations are not, not sustainable. They're not regenerative. They're not robust. They're better than nothing. They do help with the air. They help with water. They, they, they do help with some things. But they, they don't have the robustness, which is why we have forests. It's all these things together is what makes things re forest resilient and resistant to the changes. So mini forest revolution is truly a path forward if you want to. And coming back to the coming home project, it's not so much what you do, and you can do all these things, and it's certainly better than just sitting there and, and being sad. But learning how to do these things within the context that nature does these things is one, the personal change we need to make. It's humbling. We're not doing it to nature. We're doing it with nature. We're going from on top to being part of the whole process. And it's the how that does that, not just the what. We're really good at what's. We can do what's until we turn purple. But when we do those what's in the wrong way, we're just perpetuating the problems that we have. That change in mindset, that understanding of that feeling, that emotional feeling of connection, that reverence, that appreciation and gratitude that come when you really recognize the awesomeness that nature is and how wonderful it is to be involved with it that's the how and that makes that's going to make the long-term difference because in order to reach that one of the things you have to face is what are you willing to give up giving up a sense of power giving up a sense of control Question that. Question why you feel the need to be so active. If you want to be active to make things better because you love life, because you want to see it thrive, because you want to feel like your life has really contributed to the life on earth, go for it. But if you're doing it to protect yourself, to make sure that you're safe, this is not 
going to change anything. You're not making the changes that you really need to make, that need to be made so that we know when to say no. We've never been good at that. We know when we shouldn't do things, but we don't tell ourselves no. It's just like, oh, but I want to, you know? And if I want to, I'm just going to do it. And that doesn't work. That's the personal work and the societal work that we need to make. We need to be able to say no to ourselves. So what are you willing to give up to be able to continue and to make it easier on yourself to continue? That's part of it. We can give up things that are not cost-effective given the new situation, how much better off we're going to be. When I say think and act like nature, I really mean that. I mean to, and this is where the heart and the mind come together. The heart will tell you when you're doing what's right, but your mind sometimes wants to know stuff. You know, it wants to engage in thinking about things. So that's where the resilient value set, I think, is so, so, so important. Those four intents and 16 values give you a context in which to see how nature works and how you can actually do that and what doesn't support those contexts, which is equally important. You can begin to discern what is not life-enhancing. And that's another skill that we really, really need to learn. And the faster we learn it, the better off we're going to be. We want to know as a species, as an individual, how to facilitate life on a day-to-day -day basis. You'd be surprised the things you learn by really sitting deeply with the values. They have been so instrumental for me, I can't tell you. I mean, you begin to really see the magnificence of the earth. You, you begin to see the incredible detail and connection and interrelationships that are there and how magical they are. They help focus your attention. And that's a really useful tool right now. It helps you discover what it means to be resilient and how you do that. It's not stockpiling stuff. That's not resilience. <laughs> that's survivor stuff. Those are maybe temporary solutions, but they're temporary solutions. So resilience is really learning to live differently with the current situation, to be responsive in the now, to learn and evolve with the planet. She's making new changes. New things are going to be required. New life is going to come into existence that can tolerate the new conditions. So we have to allow for that in order to keep her alive. And we want to we want to be here. So we want to be part of that game. And we have to figure out what that looks like for us and how we're going to manage that. So this is a rich time. It's a very rich time. But we have to do it correctly. And our body is one of the paths to do that. We, I talked about the fact that we're a biome, and I can't tell you how important that is. We speak for all of us. <laughs> the things we do are for all of us. 
and all of us is either happy about it or not so happy about it. And we know that through our emotions, through our body language. But you have to be centered. You have to be open. You have to be not resistant to the negative things. You have to be willing to say no to things. You have to manage your emotions and your thoughts because your thoughts are going to tell you, oh, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. Oh, why should you do this? Of course you should do that. And that may not necessarily be true, you know. And we're so used to self-deception. Oh, we're so good at self-deception. We've got that one knocked. So being able to stick back from that and stop deceiving ourselves is truly the first coming home. Really coming home to who you are in this situation right now. That's not bringing forth old traumas, old thoughts, old experiences, old reasons, any of that. What is true right now? That's a skill that takes practice. Getting to the point where you can feel right now what you should do. You can practice every day. Start with your food. What should I eat? How does it feel? Are you excited? Try again. Practice, 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 practice. Know that all of the life that you represent wants life more than anything else. That's what it's committed to. And when we become committed to that as well, that's euphoric. We feel so good about what we do. We feel so good even about the decision before we've acted. It makes us wonderful. Just euphoric. Trust that. Work for that. What would it live? What it would be like? What would it be like to actually live in that state all the time? That euphoric, happy, pleasant state of joy. This is right. This is correct. Because it's only for right now that it's correct. That's the only place we have. Our path is built on doing as many of those right, correct days as we possibly can. And don't judge them for what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you have to quit your job, that's a big thing. It has consequences. I understand. But sometimes you have to say no. And trust. We've really lost the ability to trust. But, but it starts right here. It starts with you. You need to trust yourself. You need to trust your body. You need to trust your emotions and your understanding of your emotions. And we are so unskilled at that. We've had so little practice at that. So we have to slow down and take the time to feel. And there's lots of techniques for that. But we have to take that journey. Hands in the dirt. 
Yes, yes, yes. Biologically connected to the soil. <clears throat> Learning what real soil feels like. There's a big difference between soil and dirt. And I wish I could actually play the video. I will put it on the, in the network so you will see it if you sign up for the class. There's a wonderful demonstration about the difference between soil and dirt. Dirt is not alive, it's inert. <laughs> and what that means is that when you pour liquid on dirt, it runs off. There is no way to go in. It's just a, a kind of, it's not solid, but it is a just a single mass. It's, everything's kind of the same and it just runs off. But living soil is porous, it has holes. And those holes are important because the holes hold water, but they also hold air. And good bacteria, the bacteria that we want, live in air. It's the anaerobic, the no air bacteria that smell. That's really the bad stuff. That's what sickness comes from, anaerobic, unoxygenated. Life that doesn't need oxygen to live. That doesn't help us at all. So making sure that the soil is porous and can hold both water and air are really important. So think about that. There's an openness to that, not a closed, protective feeling. Dirt is kind of closed. The soil is open. We have all these different levels to think about. Nothing is simple. We are in a complex living system, a complex adaptive system. And we as a species have been so resistant to that adaptation. That's been part of the problem. Not only are we resistant for us, we've made it impossible for other parts of life to adapt to. We poison it. We kill it. We kill because things are a chain. Things are interconnected. When we kill part of that chain, we kill the whole thing. I mean, we are not facilitating adaptation at all. But now we can. Now we learn. Now we know. Now we can do that. But for life to adapt, it has to be alive. So that's our new focus is making sure that life is alive, that we're alive, that it's alive. The mini forest revolution. For those of you with a lot of gumption who really maybe love plants already, um, who like to garden, really think about taking this on, finding others. It's, this is not a one-person show. This is a communal, communal task. And so it's a way of really creating relationships that you don't have, bringing forth perhaps indigenous people who are in your area who know what plants should be there. It is a wonderful way to begin to look at what is possible in the place you live and to make it happen, to actually see it in three short years. I mean, what a very wonderful way to spend your time to be able to look around in three years and see these forests thriving 
It's been done all over the world in all sorts of climates. It does not matter. What matters is that you bring back original plants. Get the book by Hannah Lewis. So what's next? I've given you some ideas, I hope, about what you can do, just period. You can just do any of those things. Some of them you need other people for, like planting mini forests really takes more than one person. Although I would imagine if you're really stalwart, you could probably do it yourself. But this isn't a time to go it alone. That's not what we're here for. We're here to reconnect. We're here to begin to work with each other. There is no better classroom than working with others. That's why marriage is so wonderful or raising kids is so wonderful. What you learn about yourself and about other people and about relationships is light years ahead when you're engaged in them. So they're wonderful sources. So the Coming Home Project, we have classes. So Awakening to Gaia's Voice is a year-long class where we begin to explore everything I've been talking about on this podcast. There's a class on living regeneratively. What does that mean, for heaven's sakes? And how can you quickly get a hold of that and begin to see what shifts you need to make in your local area? And Values for the Coming Crisis is a class that I dearly love because our values are so tacit. We claim all sorts of stuff and we never pay attention to it. What we pay attention to is what's really in our hearts and in our habits. And habits are the problem because we don't think about those value habits. We just pull them out when we want to. And that can cause us problems. So since we're in a new time, requiring new values, we need to have a new sensitivity and understanding that values actually form systems. And that really helps us understand and see what we're doing and how we're connecting and how we're making decisions with our family, our groups, our neighborhood, our communities. So I'm asking you again, what are you willing to give up in order to become free enough to walk bravely into the future. Join us at community.living-regeneratively.world. I look forward to seeing you. Thanks for listening. So thanks for listening. I so appreciate your joining me on this journey. To go deeper, check out the Third Way community. The link is on the podcast page and on my own webpage, and you can see it right here. My own webpage is bridgetopartnership.com. You can support my work through donations on my podcast webpage or by joining my Patreon page. I am open to questions and messages, so please connect. And be sure to leave your name so that I can reference you when I respond. It's the
Take it 